This is episode number 29 with motivational speaker and the founder of the Reaver Foundation, Dave Reaver. Welcome to American Snippets, your source for inspirational, motivational, and selfless stories and interviews from exceptional people across the nation. And now, here's your hosts, Barb Allen and Dave Brown. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. This is your co-host, Dave Brown. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. We have uh, an incredible guest for you today. His name is Dave Reaver. He is the uh, founder of the Reaver Foundation. He is a motivational speaker, a Purple Heart recipient, and a Vietnam vet. And you know, after the Vietnam War, Dave could have he could have decided to hide behind his injuries and his scars, but Dave Reaver turned his own tragedy into an opportunity to shine hope and light into millions of lives. He should have died from horrific burns that literally melted him down to the bone. In fact, when the medics found him, they thought he was dead because no one could survive what happened to him in that Vietnam jungle. But each time Dave Reaver should have died or have given up, he found a new reason to hang on. And he's taken his own experience and won a war everyone else thought was lost. Now, without further ado, here's Barb Allen with Dave Reaver. Hi there. Welcome to American Snippets. I am Barb Allen. Uh, as many of you know, if you know me personally or if you followed my work, you know that among all of my own personal trials and struggles I've gone to, I find various sources of inspiration and people who've come into my life in different ways to help guide me along the way. Just when I think that maybe I've been in my lowest points and there are always certain groups of people that come forward to surprise me with their stories and their courage and their grace that I can't help but rub off from. And Vietnam veterans are far and clear among the highest ranking people in my world. I love them. I have endless stories of, of Vietnam veterans who have set aside their own struggles to come forward to help this generation of military members and military family members and those who suffer. And today's guest is one of the top among this group that I've long admired. And I'm so excited to have a chance to actually interview Dave Reaver is, you guessed it, a Vietnam veteran who uh, has an incredible and even a miraculous story of survival and hope that he now uses to spread the same instincts and the same hope to military communities and to our youth across the world. Dave, thank you so much for agreeing to be a part of this and for being here with us today. Well, Barbara, I'm very pleased to be here. I would do yeah. anything for you that can. I mean that. You're an inspiration to all of us. Uh -huh. And to have an opportunity to interface with you and reach out to somebody who's watching or listening and say to them, if you and if I can make it, so can they. Yeah. And um, we're going to get right into your story. And Vietnam veterans, as many people know, have, if anybody is given what you want to say, the right to be bitter or jealous or not jealous, but angry and maybe just focus on themselves and let everybody else go. It's Vietnam veterans for the treatment you all received and what you all endured. But you have gone the opposite route and you like a lot of others I know, but you have the most remarkable story, I think, who've come forward to to use that to help others, pe other people. But let's start. You were just were you 19 years old when you were drafted? I, I was actually 20 
And uh, I ended up joining the Navy because I didn't want the Army to get me because they might hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> I know the best pays, pay, pay pass, right? Um, so let, let's talk for one brief second about that because this is something we don't often get to talk about, and especially people um, of this generation. You know, I have a nineteen, a son who's going to be nineteen soon, and an eighteen-year-old and sixteen, fourteen. So I look at this differently now too. What is it like to be twenty years old and? told that you're going to Vietnam to this situation that you know is extremely dangerous and you have no choice. You have to go. I I tell you, it was not a lottery either. Yeah. It was Uncle Sam wants you and Uncle Sam called me. I actually, in the form of a letter from the Selective Service Board, told me to go take a physical. And uh, I remember writing back to them and telling them I felt fine. Thanks for your inquiry. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I didn't write. <laughs> I went and took my physical. I was a I was a seminary student, and uh, wow. I actually had a letter of exemption. I did not have to go. And what? the morning th- that I was to go take my physical, I woke up to an alarm that back then the radio would click, and it took a few seconds for the 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 tubes to warm up. Boy, does that tell you how old I am? The tubes had to warm up about three or four seconds. And then the news came on. And this is what it said. Today, in the northern part of South Vietnam, known as the DMZ, a young Marine was killed in service for his country. I heard that in my half asleep, half awake state. It's called REM sleep, uh-huh. rapid eye movement, which means you're dreaming. I started dreaming the news. And I dreamed I was walking through a jungle because that's all I had of an image of Vietnam. I dreamed because that's what was on TV. I was walking through a jungle and I came upon a dead Marine and he was laying face down and I rolled him over. Barbara, I jumped so hard. I fell out of bed. Wow. I landed on the floor and my little teenage wife leaned over the edge of the bed and she's laughing. She said, are you okay? I said, no, I'm not okay. She said, what happened? You hurt yourself. I said, no. I said, a young Marine died for me this morning. And I am going to go take a physical. And if I pass it, I will not come back a civilian. And she started crying, begging me, don't go. Please don't, baby. You got a letter. I said, a Marine died for me. I can't. Wow. I feel your wife's pain there because I had a similar conversation (laughs) with my husband. Um, but yeah, he chose to go too. So now you're in Vietnam and you have made it eight months into a tour, which I, I feel like eight months in Vietnam is an, is an eternity and probably several lifetimes. <laughs> it right? felt like, yeah. And I'll tell you this too. There was no Skype. There was no FaceTime. Yeah. There was no communication. You couldn't even write a letter and get it there the next day. It would take five or six days to get a letter and to hear my wife's voice was clear out of the box of expectation. However, just before I was injured, they hooked up a radio signal that went through Korea all the way to Carswell Air Force Base, who called Fort Worth and said to my wife, we have your husband on a radio call. And neither one of us could believe it was happening. But here's how romantic it was. Oh, Brenda, I miss you. I love you. Over Baby, I love you too. Over. <laughs> Honey, I can't believe we're talking. Over. Oh, my. God. It was crazy. And then it got cut off. But the sound of her voice gave me new hope. 
but it was eight months of hell on earth. I was with the Navy Special Warfare Command. I'm a SWIC sailor. I'm a special operator, and I still am and always will be. As much as a Marine is always a Marine, right. uh, I'm a SWIC sailor forever. And uh, being with the Special Warfare of the U.S. Navy meant that I was at a very high risk. In fact, we were told that we had the highest KIA per capita in the war. Oh, that's now, comforting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't called KIA because if they don't retrieve a body, it's MIA until they retrieve it until I think seven years or something has to pass. And then you go on the KIA list. Wow. So you can't confirm. I can't confirm my word. We were told though that we had the highest killed in action. And, and Barbara, I remember when I kissed Brenda goodbye at the airport. Here's this little teenager standing there with tears running down her face. And I kissed her goodbye and I can still taste the salt of her tears on my lips. Yeah, that's a very powerful moment. It just, it will never leave when you know, you know, I'm not talking to a stranger to my emotion. Yeah, no, I do understand that. And I'm glad that you guys had that chance to talk too before what happened happened that day. Now I know this is a story, but I'm going to ask you to share it. With people too. You were out on a mission. I will. And Barbara, don't hesitate to interrupt at any moment because I don't want to dominate this conversation. This is these are two people who have great stories yeah. of coming out of darkness. And I don't want to overshadow what you do. Oh, they know my story. We're sharing yours today, but thank you. But go <laughs> Okay. Well okay. I will I'll start with where okay. I just said yeah. when I kissed Brenda goodbye. Let me tell you, I walked away about five steps at Love Field of all places in mm-hmm. Dallas. I walked away about five steps and I was so proud of myself that I didn't cry because I wanted to be strong for her. And then she called my term of endearment, my name. She said, Davey. And when she said, Davey, that was it. I started to weep and I yeah. spun around mad at myself for tears. I said, what? And she asked me this question and it has haunted me all of my life. She said, Davey, are you coming back? It doesn't haunt me. The question itself. It haunted me because she didn't have any assurance that I would come back. She's asking me for hope. And I provided that hope in a lie. I looked at her and I lied through my teeth. I said, I'll be back without a scar. But the statistics said, if I got back at all, I'd come back pieces, not in peace. And when I walked away, I knew I'd made a promise I couldn't keep. And that haunted me for eight months. And on the day of my injury, I remembered those words. And on the eighth month in Vietnam, on July the 26th, 1969. So for all the young people watching, yes, that's right after the War of 1812. I know what you're thinking. (laughs) On July the 26th, 1969, I picked up a white phosphorus hand grenade. I was in a kill zone. I knew where I was. I knew the risk. Three days earlier, I had taken my first injury for which I'd received a Purple Heart. On the 23rd of July, I received a Purple Heart. Now, I didn't get it that day, but that was the injury. And on the 26th of July, I would take the hit that would take me down so hard, nobody believed I could live through it. I picked up the white phosphorus grenade, and I pulled the pin, and I drew back to throw it. It was the last moment of my aggressiveness Mm -hmm. in war. It was the last move I would make of aggression against my enemy. When the hand grenade was right beside my ear, A sniper somewhere pulled off a round. He was shooting at my head, I think, and he hit my hand, and it blew right here. The grenade exploded six inches from my right ear. 
every military person knows right now, you don't live through that. Right. You just cannot live through that. Right. That thing burns, I've been told, at 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. You can put that on top of the engine of a vehicle and it'll melt the engine down. It's twice the heat necessary to melt that engine down. It blew six inches from my right ear and it just stripped my face off. Yeah. Blew my hair off, blew my ear off, ripped my mouth off. You could see in my mouth and the cheek. I looked down, I could see my heart beating, my chest was ripped open, my back was on fire, skin was dripping everywhere, my left thumb was blown off, even that was gone. I tell her, they made that out of my hip, actually, Barbara, they made it out of my hip. Wow. I tell people, I don't suck it, <laughs> don't suck your <laughs> hip, that'd be very difficult on your neck. <laughs> and this thumb was blown off and these three fingers, if you can see that, yeah, these three fingers were blown off. They don't work, they got them back on, they just don't work. But I got one finger that works. And uh, I looked at the damage and I was pumping blood out of an open artery shooting right out of this wrist because this was blown off down to here. And it was pumping blood out with every beat of my heart. So I could see my heart pump and then you and I could see the blood go. And it so amazed me. I fell over backwards. I had jumped off the boat, yeah. swam to the riverbank, and I was on my knees when I saw this damage. Well, I just fell over backwards. My legs were folded under me. And I, everybody listed me right then. They said, he's, he's dead, KIA. And it went through my chain of command that I was KIA. They corrected that 34 years later. Think what? of that. 34 years what? later, they found him dead. <laughs> but the hospital would get the word. And my pay scale was corrected after many months, eight months after being in the hospital. They corrected my pay scale, my pay record. And they gave me back pay and started paying me. And my wife and I finally had money to live on. We were wow. dying. Wow. She was eating my hospital food to survive. Wow. I didn't want to eat. I had no yeah. desire to eat. This was These were tough times for us. And uh, the helicopter landed to pick me up. It's called the dust off. Mm -hmm. And uh, my guys were there, and they all think I'm dead. They just rolled me over face down on the stretcher. Well, I was still burning. And phosphorus mm -hmm. was being pulled by gravity through my body as it burned. It was being oh. pulled through when they flipped me over, they saved my life. Now the, the phosphorus is coming out of me and it set the stretcher on fire oh and God. the stretcher ripped open and I fell through on my head. You know, it was just one of those days when nothing goes right. <laughs> they rolled me up in wet blankets and got oh me on another God. stretcher, got me in the helicopter and away we go. And the medic is filling out paperwork about how I was killed, when I was killed and who killed me and all that stuff. They still think I'm dead. I can't respond. Wow. I have nothing to respond with. My strength is totally zapped. Yeah. They had me under the blanket and a hole burned through my throat underneath oh my or beneath God. my vocal cords, which spared them from being destroyed, although they were burned from inhaling the phosphorus. Sure. But the hole went through beneath and I was breathing through that hole. To get air to come out my mouth, I had to plug that hole. And I stuck my finger in my chest and I yelled, Medic, and when I did, it scared him so bad he almost jumped out of that helicopter. I the power lost control. We're dropping like a rock, and I'm thinking, "Holy cow! Now we're going to crash, and I'll be the only survivor." And they got me to Saigon, and then put me on a big hospital jet and sent me to Japan to die. And there, a Red Cross volunteer whose husband had been a commanding general over there with the Air Force had retired and they loved Japan and they stayed there. But she volunteered at the hospital and she took my last will and testament. Oh that tells God. you I was hanging on by a thread. Yeah. And 
I asked for a mirror and I was wrong to ask and they were wrong to bring it. And when they brought the mirror and I looked up, I had this eye still to see with. And I looked in that mirror and what I saw, there wasn't a teenage kid in America could love it. Yeah. And I knew it's over. Don't even talk to me. She cannot love a freak and a monster. And they walked away and I decided I would take my life. I'm ashamed of that. But I didn't want her to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I made a promise that I broke and I couldn't change the fact that that bell had rung and I couldn't unring that bell. So I decided to take my life and I had no gun. I had no knife, but I had that tube running in me and I pulled that sucker out and I laid my head back and waited to die. And I got hungry. <laughs> it was the wrong tube. I pulled lunch. You can die that way, but it's going to take a while. You know what I mean? <laughs> and if you smell a pizza, yeah. you're plugging it back in. I can tell you, you don't want to die. Yeah. But I didn't want to live. And sometimes living is so much more difficult than dying. But I didn't want to die. I wanted Brenda, and I couldn't have her, and I didn't want her to see me. <laughs> it was so much. I was being torn every direction. And the doctor came in, and he chewed me out good for pulling that tube, and they hooked me all back up. And they said, if you can pull that tube, we can send you to America. So they canceled the flight wow. to bring Brenda to where I was. And when they canceled that flight, I had to live. She was waiting to see me. Yeah. So they sent me to Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas. I have in front of me here my coin from Fort Sam Houston. This coin means the world to me. I have another one, but it's at my office, and I didn't think to bring it. It comes from Brook Army Medical Center from the commanding general, Jeff Johnson, who's there now, who's a very dear personal friend. My last five surgeries were not five, 45 years ago, 48 years ago. I've had 55 surgeries, and the last five were in the last year at Brook. I'm back where I started my recovery. Yeah. And at Brooke, that day when I arrived from Vietnam, they let visitors come in. And a woman came to see her husband, and he was in the bed next to mine. He was 100% third degree. No skin left. No one has ever survived it in all of human history. He would die. She walked in, took off her wedding ring, and threw it on the bed. Unbelievable. And she looked at him and said, you're embarrassing. I couldn't walk down the street with you. I could see it and I could hear it and I knew it was coming to me because in round robin, I was the next to be have to have a visitor. And I knew there was a teenage girl waiting out there could not deal with what I was having to show her the reality of war. I knew she couldn't deal with it. And that woman walked out on that man and I said, dear God, show me the tube to pull. Mm -hmm. And before I could figure it out, the door opened again and there stood a little teenage girl and what would happen next angels are witnessed she walked up to my bed she shouldn't have to deal with that she's dealt with it for 50 years Barbara 50 years later we're still together that day she looked at me she said 
I just want you to know I love you. Welcome home, Davy. And she kissed me. I got to tell you something. Angels mm-hmm. do not always come with wings on their backs. Sometimes they bring wings to your hope. For once, I believed I could live. And I did. And that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, you know, good for her and, and good for you. Um, from where yeah. from where I'm sitting, I mean, it seems like you know, she made a good choice. I mean, it feels like I, I hope I would have done the same. I feel like I would have done the same if, if my husband had, you know, had come back uh, in any yeah. manner other than the way he did. But, uh, you know, I do know even women now and these current in, in the current conflict, I know of so many of our of our men and women even who are coming home and their spouse has left them for one reason or another. And it's just after everything you all have been through um, to, to come home and face that must be terrible. So I'm glad I'm glad you had that going for you and you still do. But I'm I sure still- I'm sure she gets I'm sure you do some things that annoy her now. Right. I'm say, say that again. I'm sure you do some things that annoy her now sometimes, right? Oh, never. <laughs> never. Never. <laughs> I think what annoys her is when I say I never annoy yeah. her. <laughs> I, I'm waiting for no, like a I, pillow I, I, to I, be thrown you, at you or something from across the room. And she- <laughs> you're a brilliant woman. You know exactly what you're talking about. I don't yeah. have one doubt in my mind. It takes grace yeah. every day for that woman to live with me because I am so super ambitious driven. I tell people all the time, most of the people I know are they're I guess we'll call them they they live with purpose. Yeah. But they don't live with passion. And the difference in passion and purpose is you can work for McDonald's or you can own one. Yeah. And I'm exactly. the owner of Daybreak. Yeah. I'm not going to be a franchise of myself. I am the owner. I'm the man. And I'm not going to allow anything to take away the liberty I fought, I bled, and I burned to buy for myself and for my country. I will never let go of that freedom at any cost to anyone. And every enemy of the state, every enemy of this nation, every enemy abroad or at home needs to know I'm one of tens of thousands of millions of people who will never go let go of their liberty and nothing can be shoved down our throat of any faith or religion or doctrine or anything less than freedom. We will not accept it. I hear amens amen to that, you know, and go hand in hand with that. I really feel, uh, especially personally and professionally, I know so many military members and surviving family members and such. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of times, uh, veterans who come home from combat have guilt that they even came home. They've just, and they're, Survival yeah, guilt. and it, it weighs them down and it burdens them. And what I tell fellow Gold Star family members, especially, is, um, you know, that's our opportunity now to to show them, the returning veterans, that by living our own lives fully and well, we relieve them of that guilt because if they see us, it, you know, if they see the very representatives of the people that they carry so much guilt for well go down that path, uh, what, do, what message does that send them? Right. So right. Um, it goes, it, it is hand in hand. It is twofold. And then all these people who come out and strike against our country, if they see us crack and they see us go, we can go down, but we can't stay down. Right. So right. Um, that's the difference. Yeah. In- 
being having a horrific story or yeah. having a healing story. Yes. And we yeah. can take our tragedy, you and me, yeah. we can take our tragedy and we've turned it into a triumph. That's why I admire you so much. I mean it, Barbara. You could have sat down and turned, learned to hate and to reject. But I'm going to tell you something. You, you don't know this, but I'm about to tell you something special, girl. <laughs> okay. In a couple of days, I am speaking at the Redstone Arsenal in Alabama. Awesome. And what's the name of the town? Huntsville, Huntsville, Alabama. And I am speaking for the installation of the gold star flag for the first permanent residence on a military installation. Wow. That? Isn't wow. that exciting? That is. That is, that is so is. awesome. And I'll tell you something else, yeah. Barbara. You and I have done something that many others can look at and yeah. say, why don't we give it a shot? Here it is. Instead of sitting around with a pity party and feeling sorry for ourselves, we turned our attention to helping others. Today, my program is recognized by the Department of Defense as a good program because they keep sending me the active duty wounded that come from the battlefield to this day. They come to our program. It's called Operation Warrior Reconnect. And over and over and over, they've sent me thousands of them to our ranches. I have one in Colorado, one in Texas. And we take these youngsters that you were just describing who would in any other situation not have much to come back and expect to turn into a positive way. Mm -hmm. They come back broken. They come back distraught, distressed, suicidal. And the suicide among our wounded returning is horrific. It's unacceptable. It's a hemorrhaging. You and I are on this program today to help stop, not to mention those that are already retired of 22 a day. Mm -hmm. So here's the here's what I I think the enemy of our soul, the enemy. I'm talking about if you believe in right and wrong, good and evil, you believe there's a devil and I believe he's there. I believe he's done everything in his power to destroy you and destroy me. But there's the other enemy in the natural that enemy in terrorism, that enemy in my day called communism, and there's not yeah. much difference in their objectives right. to destroy freedom. And I'm going to tell you something. They did us a favor. In the long run, we've done more to save more lives than if we had lost our lives or if you'd lost your husband for nothing. Yeah. We have turned his tragedy. We've turned my tragedy around. And today there are thousands and thousands of youngsters who could have easily gone into that dark place of despair. We've changed their lives by turning on the light in their darkness. And girl, I can say to you, reach on, continue reaching into that dark place for those moms and those women who relate to you better than anybody. And I'll do the same for the young men and women in our reach. And today, my surgeries, these all these last surgeries, they built me a new face. I, you would know without knowing me well enough before, right. but a year ago, I didn't have a nose. I only had one nostril. Look at that, baby. Look at that. <laughs> it's a boy. I'm so proud of my nose and I have lips and I have two eyelids. Wow. I didn't have that. I was struggling. My eyeball was about to dry out and it was in so much pain because it wouldn't blink. They made me eyelids. And now look at me. And I have had hair for years. It all came back. I bought it. <laughs> I bought my hair back. It's okay, except when the wind, well, it was blown off in Vietnam, but it was blown off in South Carolina the other day in a high wind. So I got my I hate hair. it when that happens. I hate that. <laughs> and my ear is artificial. It falls off when I'm giving public speeches 
when I stick it back on, they all think it's a miracle. And they get religion. <laughs> what do you think of that? <laughs> I, I can tell you, um, I've known your story and I've seen your videos and I, I personally and professionally, I've paid attention to you for a lot, a lot of reasons. So many levels of you that, you know, resonate with me. But when they brought you finally to Snowball Express to come speak to our families, and I always speak about Snowball Express as well. When you came to Snowball, and I have four boys, right? Four teenage boys now. Teenage <laughs> boys, they're hard to impress. They're really hard to kind of reach and capture their attention and, and make an impact on. And, uh, and they remember you. And they remember you from a year and a half ago when they saw you speak. And they don't remember anything I said to them yesterday or this morning, right? But but I told them, I'm like, do you remember this guy? He came and spoke to us that I get to speak to him. They said, oh. and now this is the highest compliment that you're being paid with this comment. It's like, oh, yeah, mom, that guy was cool, you know? And so for them yeah, to yeah. say that, to remember you, and then they brought up things that you said. So, I mean, I, I saw firsthand how you reach youth, teen, and who is a they're a very difficult population to reach. You reach out to other difficult populations, the military, and you mentioned the DOD actually brought you in to work with them, which is another huge accomplishment. I don't know if anybody's tried to work with the DOD. I can't even get somebody to answer the phone, you know, if I call DFAS or something. So the fact that you got them to uh, to actually reach out to you and come into you speaks volumes. Um, in my mind, it's almost the same thing. Having teenagers say, yeah, mom, that guy's cool. And having the DOD, they're both equally impossible. And you've done both. So congratulations. Well, thank that. you. And uh, there's one, one good yeah. reason why I'm able to reach such a young audience. Yeah. I never developed past 19. I'm still a teenager in my brain. My average audience yeah. is about 19 years yeah. old, both in the military and in public schools. And I do a lot of both. And in fact, I'm getting ready to leave here, as I said, to mm -hmm. go to the Redstone Arsenal. I'll be speaking to the uh, National Space and Missile Command. And then uh, shortly after that, I'm with the United States Army Missile Command, a uh, Space Command, pardon me. Wow. And with the 4th Army stationed out of Fort Sam Houston, pardon me, U.S. Army North, not 4th. And with General Buchanan. And then I always speak at Bamsey, Brook Army Medical Center, and General Johnson. And here's one of the things I think you'll find interesting, Miss Barbara. 30 years ago, I was speaking at a public school in Montana. And there was a teenager in the 12th grade sitting in the audience. And he looked down and he listened to me and he said, I want to be a military man like him. Wow. 30 years later, I'm at Brook Army Medical Center going through my 53rd surgery. My medic pops to attention and I look over and there's a general standing there. And I said, hello, sir. He said, hi, Davey. No one calls me Davey if they don't know me. <laughs> yeah. I said, sir, are we acquainted? He said, well, you don't know me, but I know you. 30 years ago, he said, I was sitting in a public school and you came and spoke. I'm in the military today. Because of you, I said, well, General, I'm happy to meet you. I said, what What do you do? He said, I'm commanding general of this hospital you're in. I'm your top doc. What can I oh do to help your gosh. program? <laughs> he is the commanding general wow. of Brook Army Medical Center. And not only him, but I have a coin here. It's four stars. And his name is General Rand. And he is the commander of the 
Global Strike Command, United States Air Force. He is one of the top generals in the United States military worldwide. He is an amazing guy. He was sitting with his wife at a school when I came through and spoke, and he said, I want to be a military man like that. I got generals serving today. I should get... I should get paid for recruitment. <laughs> you should, right? <laughs> it's Something. such a great story. Temp- it's not I- me, Barbara. It's well, God. it is. It is. You know, it is because you still God. had to make the choice to accept that and go. You yeah. know? And then that's a choice that, you know, you almost have to make every day because it, any day you get up and you change your mind, it's it. It's over. Right. So you have to continue yeah. to make that choice. It's not a one time deal. So I know that you also, in addition to, touring American schools and speaking to the military. You also do outreach work and significant work in in Vietnam. Uh, thank you for saying that because yeah. I leave for Vietnam in just a few days. Amazing. I'll be headed over. We built, it was a $14.7 million project. Wow. And by the grace of God, I was able to complete it debt-free in just about a year. But it is the only cardiac care center in Vietnam that I know of. Now, there may have been one come up lately, but for all these years, since 2000, when we opened, I had the only cardiac care. It's a Toshiba Digital Imaging Cath Lab. We do heart stents, pacemaker, angiogram, angioplasty. We can even do liver work with this digital machine and save lives. We save about 300 lives a year on our table. That's not talking about the people whose lives are improved. Right. who maybe wouldn't have died, but they fell over and passed out all the time. Every time they bent over to pick up a grandbaby, they landed on their head. Well, we have been in operation over there since 1993. And I've had the unprecedented joy of building a relationship with my enemy, the communists. Yeah. And the person that was my strongest contact was Her Excellency, Madam Bun, Vice President of Vietnam. And for decades, she and I worked together She became one of my best friends. And I used to tell her, I don't like communism. And she said, well, I don't like Bill Clinton. And it was a huge story. It was so (laughs) funny. We would laugh together. We cried together. I found the humanity of that woman and she found it in me. And we started a program called Why Guy. And that means reconciliation. And I was able to take hundreds of Vietnam veterans. I will be taking 25 with me. In just a few days, Vietnam veterans back to Vietnam to have healing and closure, to discover the humanity, regardless of our political views, we can Mm -hmm. live in peace. And I'm taking these guys back. Thank you for bringing that up. I had no idea you knew that, but Uh, we have a huge medical program over there, and I'm so proud of it. Yeah. So let me, I mean, what, what? inspired you? What prompted you? At what day did you wake up and say, you know what? I am going to go do this. This is something I feel called to do. Uh, and and then not just think it, but then you just went, you, you did it. Right. So what, you're, amazing. you're amazing. You're asking a question. Nobody's <laughs> yeah. ever bothered to ask me. And it's, it's probably important. one of the most yeah. important questions of my life. Yeah. I'll tell you what happened. A man named Bernard Johnson was a missionary to South America. I think it was Brazil. And Bernard Johnson was so passionate when he spoke that people just sat on the edge of their chair to listen to him. Well, when he spoke, I was sitting on the edge of my chair among thousands of people. And he spoke about caring, caring for the hurting, caring for the lost and hopeless. 
On the way home from that meeting with thousands of people there, I thought I was the only one in the audience. I said to my wife, when we stopped at a red light at a big intersection in Fort Worth, I said, baby, there's something I got to tell you. She looked at me and she said, "Uh oh, <laughs> you're going back to Vietnam, aren't you? Wow. I could have fallen out of the car. My heart and yeah. her heart are so intertwined, it's impossible to separate us. We are one. I said, Brenda, yes, baby, I have to go. She said, we'll get the money together. How do you go back to a country at that time mm -hmm. that was still at war? The communists had not yet taken it. This was 1974. Wow. I was still bleeding. I didn't have eyelids. I didn't have a mouth like this. It was inverted and I drooled. My nose wow. was all laid over with only one hole. I was mutilated. My hair was just growing in sparse places. I didn't have the hairpiece, no ear. I was so horrible to look at. I didn't care. I didn't finish my job in Vietnam and I had something to do. I went there to bring victory through liberty through victory, peace through victory, freedom through victory. And I discovered that the M16 failed. I went back with a John 316 and determined to win. And I went back and that was my first explosion of understanding the possibilities in that country. I went back in 1975. I was there when the communists took the country. I didn't go back again. I, I got out with only my life. I was barely able to escape. And mm -hmm. I got out. I was back in the States until 1992. And that's when I heard Bernard Johnson speak. And uh, pardon me. I, that's when I was able to respond to the message by Bernard Johnson mm -hmm. from way back in the 70s. And I went back to Vietnam this time, not with USAID, which I went back with. I went back this time to make a difference with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am a, a Christ follower. I'm a Jesus follower. Mm -hmm. And I went back. And to this day, you cannot imagine what I'm about to tell you. What I'm going to tell you is a verifiable fact. Today, we have a miracle in Vietnam. I remember a man who said to me, give me one good reason you'd go back to that country and help those people. I said, I'll give you 59,000 good reasons. And Barbara, you heard my speech mm -hmm. at Skyball to 6,000 people just the other day. I said, 59,000 good reasons yep. to go back is to not let 59,000 dead Americans have given their life for nothing. If the M16 can't do it, the John 316 can. Today, we have an online school of ministry that is in Vietnam. Actually, it's in 28 wow. countries and about 14 different languages. In Vietnam alone, we crossed the threshold last year of over 59,000 registered online students in Vietnam alone. Wow. I won the war in <laughs> Vietnam. I won yes, it you for did. Dave Reaver. I uh -huh. won it for me. My mm -hmm. injury, my pain, my disgust with the image and the fear that I brought to little children when they would look at me. It all just paid off. And speaking at Skyball's wonderful mm -hmm. Snowball Express, I got to tell you something. That Snowball Express changed my life. If you remember that night, yeah. When I walked out, I was introduced by one of the most beautiful young girls you'd ever seen in your life. 
I tell everybody she was gorgeous. All of her parts were in the right places. <laughs> and I looked at her and she walked me out and I thought, holy cow, these children are going to look at me and they're going to think the beauty and the beast. <laughs> and I thought, I can't tell these kids that she's the beast. <laughs> so I laughed to myself and I looked at about 1,600, I think, yeah. children who lost their their dads who lost their dads in the global war on terror and, moms, yeah. and to the gold star families. I looked at them and I said, I'm sorry about the way I look, but nobody understands better the price of freedom than you do. And when I said yeah. that, those kids responded, they cheered, they clapped. And I'm telling you, yeah. Dave Reaver came out of a dark place that people would have thought, oh, it's been all those years. You handled all that surgery. They didn't know what I looked like. Yeah. I was wearing a partial mask that night, if you recall, wow. because I didn't want to scare those babies. I didn't want to scare those children. And I was so embarrassed. But when they said to me, we have 1,600 kids that want to hear you talk, I couldn't say to them, well, look at my face. I can't get to talk. Look at those children. Yeah, They're the ones that need all the help they can get. Not me. I'll make it. Those kids need all the encouragement we can give them from now until they're old enough to figure it all out. And many of them have. Yep. But I wasn't about to disappoint those kids. And that night, that speech you talked about, your sons heard, yeah. it went viral. And that thing is online. And for the first time, American Airlines made yeah. DVDs of it because there were so many requests right. on demand of that. I'm just thrilled I could do anything good out of something so bad. I don't mean to talk so much. No, I'm glad you are. I'm excited. I could sit down here all day. Um but I'm I'm glad that you did come out that night. And I, I hope that Snowball brings you back to that event as many times as you'll go because of all I'll the go things every time they call. Yeah. Of, of all the things that you can do, I think, for for anybody who's gone through something, but in this event it's our families, you know, who've lost someone. So if, if anything somebody could do for our families, it is to um in on top of any nice event or warm, fun feeling that you're gonna give them is to inject with that message and that hope um you know there's a there's a tendency to become dependent on these groups and these events and stuff but what you did is kind of shake it up that night and serve as a reminder hey you know outside of these events there's a life and there's a person and there's this and that and it's such an important message uh, to carry home so they carried home more than those memories they care that little seed that you planted you know helped a lot of us moms build on um, from from yeah. when we took our kids home, we were like, "Thank you." You know, I remember what Dave Reaver said. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. Um, and so you gave us another in to our kids. So it was thank you, really great. Thank really you. great. If so, anybody would like to get in touch with us, can I leave a little? I, that was my next question. You read my mind. Yep. All right. <laughs> so, it's so simple. Yeah. It's it's it yeah. couldn't be easier. Yeah. It's help a vet. Dot com. Don't worry about upper lowercase, just helpavet.com. And that'll take you to my website and people like to get the whole story. Mm -hmm. We have books. I've written a number of books. We have videos. We have links to things like Skyball, I think are on there. Yeah. Uh, or rather Snowball Express. Anybody who wants to get hold of us can do it that way. And they can Help just Google your name too. Yep. Google. So I have two more questions I'm going to throw at you before, before I let you go. So these are questions we ask, ask our people because you all have a story and you all have very good answers to this. If you could reach back in time to your 22 year old self now, and this is after you've been through a lot, but you Dave Reaver sitting here now at a Dave Reaver, 22 years old, what would you tell him? 
You know, you asked that question to one of my best friends in the whole world, Bob but, Benson. Oh, so you knew it was coming. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know it was coming, but I, I remember that question when yeah. you said it. I remember you asking him, and he had to really struggle to come up with something yes. because there's not much he wanted to change. Well, I'm going to right. tell you, I wouldn't change anything if I could go back. Now, that's easy to say. Yeah. When people have said to me in the past, Dave, you'd do it all again, wouldn't you? I want to slap them because I think, here, I get the hand grenade explosion and you got the brain damage. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wouldn't want to do it again. But the truth is, I didn't know then what I do know now. And I don't know now what I might know in the future. Right. So not knowing what tomorrow makes available to me, I'd do it again because I don't know tomorrow. So yeah, I'd do it again and I'm going to capsulate it in this word. I'm proud of my scars and stripes. I have a video called Scars and Stripes. It's an amazing video. I'm going to that title, Scars and Stripes, and I'm proud of. That is that it's such an on-point title and name. I've seen that um, in your work too. And last question, this is especially meaningful, I think, um, coming from somebody who gave so much for Americans so that we can go about our everyday business and build our lives and build our businesses and build our families. Um, what does the American dream mean to you? And what would you say to people who dismiss it and say the American dream is, is an illusion, is dead? One of the dreams I have for my country is for this nation to wake up from the slumber that they have fallen into about the value of freedom. My dream is this nation will wake up and realize that they are committing suicide. They are destroying our democracy. They are destroying our freedom of speech, press, religion, the right to pursue mm -hmm. happiness, and the right of freedom of assembly together by the hatred between our parties, by the undeniable disgust of lying about each other to destroy mm -hmm. each other. The things that are happening, my dream is to somehow find healing for this broken nation. We are a broken nation, and there's only one healer I know because politics hadn't healed it. Politics has lacerated our arteries. We're bleeding. We're hemorrhaging. We need the Almighty God himself to come back into our focus and heal our broken nation. We are... I mean, through your work and through our work and through so many people that I know, I think we're slowly starting to reverse that. Uh, or at least we're stop we're we're easing the hemorrhage a little bit. But it takes everybody, right? Every, there's something, everybody. there is something that every single person can do within their own grasp that um, to to reverse that. But it is stories like yours and and stories like Bob's, the people we get to meet that I think serve as such a reminder of that. So I'm so grateful to you for sharing your story again with us. I don't know if it gets easier or more difficult for you over time to continually share this story that, um, you know, to you is real and lived, but to other people, it's, it's amazing, you know? So I, I don't know if it's easier or harder to, to share as time goes on, but I appreciate you doing so again with us and letting us share it with American Snippets. Thank you very much. And welcome home. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.
Thank you so much, Dave. Hey, everyone. Dave Brown here again. Uh, that wraps up another episode of American Sippets. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. Uh, if you want to learn more about Dave Reaver, uh, we have a great article and a featured piece on Dave and his foundation. Just head on over to americansnippets.com forward slash zero two nine. You can read all about Dave, his foundation, watch this full interview in its entirety. And uh, we'll have some links over there as well. So you can connect with Dave, uh, follow him, listen to him speak, uh, book him to speak, uh, so on and so forth. So uh, appreciate you joining us on today's episode. Stay tuned. We have some really great uh, interviews coming up down the road. Uh, as always, if you got some value out of today's episode or uh, one of our shows, one of our episodes in the past has made an impact in your life, uh, let us know about it by leaving us a review on iTunes. Uh, I say this after epi- every episode, but uh, reviews mean uh, a lot to us because it's how we get discovered, it's how we get ranked, and it's how more people can find uh, find our podcast and connect with the extraordinary people that we're featuring here. Uh, again, we're looking to create a movement, uh, inspire people to live bigger and better lives. And we could use your help in spreading the word. So leave us a review, connect with us on social media, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at uh, American Snippets. Uh, Thanks again for joining us on today's show. Uh, Again, this is American Snippets. We are living, defending, and promoting the American dream. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. 